Merry Christmas. Thank you. It's great to see you. Uh, It's great to be here. It's always, you know, we love coming together on the Lord's Day, and um, we can celebrate Jesus' birth every Sunday. We certainly celebrate His resurrection every Sunday. That's why the Lord's Day is on Sunday, the first day of the week. But uh, it is special to do this, to celebrate, maybe even to dress up a little bit, or dress up like an economics professor, if that's your... (laughs) if that's the direction you want to go. But... We, uh, Downtown Prez has, uh, we've been a little bit off the, the formal church calendar. We don't follow it super closely, but we do, you know, hook into it during Christmas and Easter. And we, uh, instead of starting the first Sunday of Advent, that was right after Thanksgiving, we just started in December. And so for us, for Downtown Prez, this is the fourth Sunday of Advent. And uh, it's great that this is Christmas morning. We want to look at a famous passage. We're going to be in Luke chapter 2. We were in an earlier part of Luke last week, but Luke chapter 2, beginning in verse 8. And um, Jake already said this. I, I do want to say a special welcome to those who are visiting who would not normally be here. Maybe you uh, came with a family member or a friend or you just found your way here this morning. We're so glad you're here. And uh, if you hear anything today that interests you and you want to hear more about it, we'd love for you to keep coming but, uh, or just to talk with you. So please let us know how we can be helpful. The, the text is in the bulletin. You can follow it there, Luke chapter 2, beginning in verse 8. Uh, I, you know, I've mentioned this comedian before, Brian Regan. The, the Haybigs are big fans of Brian Regan. We think he's very funny. And there's a, uh, there's a bit he does about it. He says that one of his fantasies, because he, his humor is very self-deprecating, and he talks about his own social awkwardness. He says that one of his social fantasies is that he could be one of the, the 12 men who actually walked on the moon because he said that he thinks it must be great that they can know that in any social setting, some dinner party, some cocktail party, when somebody else is trying to tell their story and kind of be the big person in the room, he calls that person the me monster. It's the person about me, myself, me, me, I, me, myself, telling their story, talking about their business, talking about their trips, talking about what they own, that, that this person can just kind of sit there and eat their finger food, and then just after a while can say, I walked on the moon. <laughs> and just everyone yields the floor to that person at that point. And I, I, I think that would be pretty great to just have, you know, some story, something that happened to you that was just so unbelievably extraordinary and unique and just trumped anybody else's story that you just always had that in your hip pocket the rest of your life. If, if there is any group of people in Scripture that got to have that experience in real life, it's, it's the men in, in this text. And in some ways, I wish you were hearing it for the first time because there are so many plays with shepherds played by fifth graders in school auditoriums that I feel like I've got to overcome for us to see this passage together. But I, I really, I want you to hear this account, and this is in the Gospel of Luke, and, you know, Luke says at the beginning, and this is really true of all the Gospels, but he really makes a point of it. I talked with the eyewitnesses. I interviewed people. I talked and asked them exactly what happened so I could put down a truthful and an orderly account. So as part of his orderly, truthful account of what happened, how did the Messiah come to us, how, how did he come and live and do what he did in our midst. This is part of the account. And before I read it, I just want to ask one more question. If in, in light of what 
this group of men witness and experience. If you were God, who would you do this in front of? Kings? Leaders? The rich? The cultural elites? Well, here's how God did it. Luke chapter 2, beginning in verse 8. And in the same region, and that's the same region as Joseph and Mary, as Mary has given birth to Jesus. In the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. This is God's Word. Let's pray together. Thank you, Father, for today, and thank you that we get to be together, and thank you for the sight of each other. Thank you for singing. Thank you for the Scriptures. Thank you for each other. Thank you for giving. Thank you for your your table. We thank you for this passage, and we thank you for this account, and we thank you for the truth. And we pray that you'd open our ears. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Last night, as we do every year, Habig's watched the Charlie Brown Christmas special on VHS. <laughs> Beautifully low-tech. We think we have the last functioning one in the city. When it's done, we're going to donate it to a, a local museum as an artifact. But uh, no, we watched the Charlie Brown Christmas special. And some of you have heard me share this before. You may or may not know this, but over half a century ago, can you believe that that's been on over half a century? It almost never saw the light of day on, on network TV for a variety of reasons. They, when, when they put the show together, they showed it to, I guess, what we would call a focus group, a test group. And the groups that they showed it to said they thought it was too slow and uh, that it was weird that they used actual children's voices for the children's character instead of some adult voice that would be recognized. They thought it was odd that it had a jazz score to it. Uh, probably thought that would never take off. 
And, uh, but the big one, and, and if, you, if you watch the Charlie Brown Christmas special, and if you don't, you can't go to heaven. So I would advise that you, that you do that. But when you watch the Charlie Brown Christmas special, one of, the, one of the names that you see, the executive producer is Lee Mendelson. And he said to Charles Schultz, because Charles Schultz, I mean, he came up with peanuts. He came up with Charlie Brown. He had certain expectations of what would be in the show. He wanted Linus to say our passage. And Lee Mendelson said, you cannot read the Bible on network TV. But for some reason, it got through. And for some reason, they did it. And it was half the United States watched it when it first came out. The, the thing I want you to think about is, you know, so we're, we're so accustomed to it. We might think, look, I mean, it's Christmas. Come on. Yeah, I mean, I, you, you can read from the Gospel of Luke at Christmas on network TV. I think, that's, I think if, if we don't see the jolt of it, and it's not jarring to us, it's because, number one, we're so used to it. Number two, most of us are Gentiles. And I want you to think, especially like in New York City, which is not just Gentile, I want you to think about how, how jarring it could be to hear from your TV the words, unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ. Now, you understand, that's not Jesus' last name. He's not Mr. Christ. That's just the Greek way of saying Messiah. To hear on your TV a child get up on the school auditorium stage and say, unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is the Messiah, the Lord. God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, is born to you this day. And, and what I would say to you is it might be that the person who was most jarred by that really heard what was said. That this is not just a neat Christmas announcement. This is an angel saying to men, as I've said every week during this Advent series, who've never heard of Christmas, who've never been to a Christmas play, who've never watched the Charlie Brown Christmas special, saying to them... Unto you is born a baby boy, and he is Messiah. He is the Lord. So I want to look at this, and uh, I'm not going to go into super depth, but whatever super depth is, but I, I want to look at these shepherds as unlikely witnesses. First, I want to look at the angels, the angelic visitors, and then these unlikely witnesses. Just, just for setup, again, I think most of this is familiar to you, but just in case it's not, uh, this is outside of Bethlehem. It's rural. You've got shepherds watching their sheep. And, uh, you know, they live nomadic existences. And as I read up on the background of shepherds, there's really not consensus. Some people thought that they were not respected in their day, that they were looked as people that had kind of fuzzy views of personal property, you might say, and nomadic, and were they trustworthy? Other people said, no, shepherds had to be trustworthy. Jesus said, hey, some shepherds are so good, they'll lay down their life for the sheep. They lived nomadic lives. They were tough men, and they're out in the field. People crave company, so probably sometimes people that watch flocks in proximity to each other would come together. So maybe ones taking care of different flocks of sheep came together. They were together at night. And an angel appeared. Now, this is where I really feel like I've got the mental pictures to overcome because what you probably pictured when I read the text is what I would call a sky choir. 
it's sort of like the Mormon Tabernacle Choir with wings floating. Because that's what that's just that's how it's always depicted. That's what it looks like in the cards. And, and, and you know, I've, I've mentioned this before. My favorite one is sometimes it'll have like a banner that says something like peace on earth. And one angel is holding <laughs> one side of the banner, you know, and the other is, is floating, holding the other. So what you're picturing is a group of shepherds at night and they're looking up at the sky choir that all look like women with wings. The angel of the Lord shows up different places in scriptures or don't know if this is the angel of the Lord or just an angel of the Lord. But it says in verse 9, an angel of the Lord appeared to them. And when we think appear because of our mental pictures, we think up in the sky. You could translate that to say, and sort of the natural way to understand it would be that he stood in their midst. So they, you know, if you've been camping, you've heard my camping stories. If you've been camping, you really know what dark, dark, dark night is like. They are out in dark, dark Judean night. And all of a sudden, an angelic fire messenger warrior stands in their midst. And it says in Greek, they feared a great fear. It terrified them. The first picture, just someone standing there in the middle of the shepherd, just lighting up the countryside. Then it says what? Verse, uh, verse 13. Suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host. When we hear host, we think sky choir. Host in the Old Testament is what? Hosts are troops. Hosts are armies. In fact, a translation of the Bible that we use sometimes when we do a, a, a Bible reading during the, serv- uh, during the service is the New Living Translation. And when the New Living Translation comes to what other English translations would say, Lord of hosts, it will translate it, Lord of heaven's armies. Uh, John Milton, that wrote Paradise Lost, he wrote an ode. It was an ode on the, on the uh, nativity of Christ. And when he got to the part of describing the angels, he described them as helmed cherubim and sorted seraphim. So instead of picturing the floating women with wings with banners up in the sky, picture that at first there's a fire warrior. And then all of a sudden the shepherds look around and just the entire countryside lights up with thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of these soldiers. And they're surrounded. And it was interesting. I saw, and I, this is speculation. Can't prove it. But, but I saw one commentator said, you know, how many angels came? And one commentator said, I think they all came. You know, I thought about that. I'd never thought about that. But I thought, I don't know what bigger project they would be working on that day. that they just surround these men in the Judean countryside, light up that part of Judea. What did they come and say? What, what does the angel of the Lord come and say? That's what they look like. Terrifying. The message is this, verse 10. Fear not. Again, when angels appear, the first thing they always have to say is, whoa, 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 whoa. don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Verse 10. Fear not, for behold... Now, to our ears, this sounds like, I've got this thing called good news. 
and I'm going to bring it to you. But in the original, it's a verb. In the original, it says something like, I'm evangelizing you. It uses the verb that for the rest of the Gospel of Luke describes what Jesus did, and really before him what John the Baptist did, and then what the apostles did. And then when you get to the next book that Luke wrote, Acts, it's all through the book of Acts, and it's what God's people did with one another. It's proclaiming the good news of what God has done in our midst. And this angel comes, and he uses that verb. He says, I'm evangelizing you. I'm good newsing you. What's the good news? Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy. And just catch that tension, or not tension, the juxtaposition. Great fear, I bring you great joy. That will be for all the people. For unto you is born in this city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And because those words are familiar, it doesn't hit us like it should. But what did the text just say? An angel of the Lord appeared to them. And the glory of the Lord shone around them. And then this angel says, a baby is born to you who is the Lord. That's incredible. The God that we worship all the time, nonstop, and serve as his messengers is born to you. And this is beautiful. On the one hand, he says, he's born for all the people. Now, if you're living in Judea and an angel appears, you would think all the people would mean Israel. God's people, singular, the people, the Israelites. But then what else does the angel say? Verse 11, unto you is born this day. Shepherds. Now this, if, if, you'll, if we'll stop and hear it, this is fantastic. This is this fire warrior saying, you guys that work with sheep, to you, God sends the Messiah. And the rest of the New Testament unpacks that. To you, shepherds, is the Messiah. To you, Jews, is the Messiah. To you, Gentiles, comes the Lord. To you, children, comes the Lord in the flesh. To you, elderly, on your deathbed, comes this baby. To you, drug dealer, in sketchy part of Greenville, Christ is born. To you, drug purchaser, in affluent part of Greenville, Christ is born. To you. He came for us. We don't deserve it. We couldn't make him come. We don't control him coming. We didn't schedule him coming, but God sends his son to us because he cares for us, and we cannot save ourselves. So to you is born the Savior you need. That's the message. So then, what happens with these unlikely witnesses? And catch this, catch this theological, again, not tension, 
but just interesting thing to note. And the angel of the Lord appeared to them. The glory of the Lord shone around them. Unto you is born Christ the Lord. And then the, angel, the, uh, the shepherds say what? Verse 15. Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. Let's go see the Lord since the Lord sent angels to send us to him. Just sleep, sleep on that the rest of the, the, the day. Verse 17. When they saw it, when they found Mary and Joseph, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning the child. How much did they know? And I love this in the New Testament, is how you'll see people who don't know much, and God lets them be his witnesses. One time there was a guy who was demon-possessed, and Jesus healed him, and he was so relieved, and he was so thankful, he wanted to go follow Jesus, and Jesus said, no. I want you to go back to the area that you come from, and I want you to tell them how the Lord had mercy on you. This guy was demon-possessed and crazy. He doesn't know. He's never been to vacation Bible school. He's never read a theology book. But the Lord sends him back to his home area, so he goes back to his home area, and he just tells how the Lord had mercy on him, and God uses him as his witness. How much did these shepherds know when they, when they find Joseph and Mary? The Lord sent angels to us. We know that you're having a baby boy, in the manger. There's, they gave us the sign. There he is. So we've got the right one. And the angel said that he's a savior and that he's the Messiah and that he's the Lord. And the angel said, by the way, it doesn't say that they sang. It says that they said it. There's millions of voices together. The angel said in heaven... Because of this, God is glorified, and on earth, there's shalom now. There's shalom between him and his people because of this baby. And that's what they knew. That's all you have to know. And it's wonderful to grow and learn more, but those are the things you must know. So how did it affect those shepherds? Because again, if we, if we saw one angel appear like this, I mean, you could just be on podcast the rest of your life talking about your angel story. They saw thousands or millions of angels. And so what does the text say? And so for the rest of their life, they were consumed with angels. What, look, look at what Luke does here. What do angels do? Verse 13. Suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly army, the heavenly host, praising God and saying glory to God. What do angels do? They glorify God and they praise God. How does this passage end? Verse 20. The shepherds returned back to the flocks, back to the fields, consumed with angels. Verse 20. The shepherds returned glorifying and praising God. For all they had heard and seen. This is the consistent pattern. You see it in the New Testament, and you see it in church history. When people have an encounter with religion, they probably become consumed with religion if they don't walk away from it. But when people come into contact with this good news, 
and this one who is the good news, one of two things happens. They either say no, and they distance themselves from him and from that news, or they're transformed. And what it looks like is worship and gratitude to God, even if it's ignorant, even if we don't know the right words to use, even if we're not good at it, even if it's inconsistent, worship and praise to God and joy, deep joy. Have you met Christ? I mean, already in this service, we've sung about him, read about him, talked about him, prayed to him, Have you actually met him? What the scriptures give us, what the New Testament gives us is not, look, here's this system called Christianity, and it's better than all the other systems. This system's better than the Muslim system and the Hindu system and the agnostic system. Go with our system and be an adherent to our system. That is not how the Gospels read. It's not how the New Testament reads. It says this, someone came. Our God came to us. He became flesh for us. And he lived for us. And he died for us. He rose for us. He ascended for us. And he will come again for us. Have you met him? And I would say, if you're sitting here thinking, I don't know if I have or not, then you know what I would invite you to do is to turn to him and say, I don't know if I actually know you or not. Would you show yourself to me? I need joy. But what that means is I need you. And to turn to him and cry out. God loves when people turn to him and cry out, saying, I want to know Jesus. And the history of the church is when people do that, an inexplicable joy comes. That's not just for the shepherds. Although I, I, would, have, I would love video of shepherds, those shepherds maybe a decade later, if they lived. Because don't you know that for the rest of their lives, when they were out at night, if there was like a really bright shooting star or something, and somebody said, man, that thing was bright. But, okay, if we're going to talk about bright, and they tell the story again, and they think about God, and they think about Christ the Lord, and they have joy. Let me me end with this. Uh, There's a, a magazine and a website that's dedicated to modern day persecution and martyrdom. It's called Voice of the Martyrs persecution.com. And I just, I just stumbled on this recently, and I thought how relevant this was. Uh, one, of the, one of the writers for this magazine said this, if you read through very many of Voice of the Martyrs newsletters, there are sometimes heartbreaking stories, ones that can be difficult to read because of the pain these dear Christians had to endure. And I mean, it's not just a bad day. Torture, confiscation of property, the end of family relationships, fear of attack on their children. Oftentimes, though, there will also be pictures of these Christians smiling, or they make statements that almost make them seem happy. This poses a question, how is it possible to be happy in the midst of suffering? 
And this writer says, I would argue that it may not be possible to be happy in the midst of suffering. I recently found out that the English word happy comes from the word happenstance, meaning what is currently happening. Essentially, being happy is dictated by whatever happens to be happening at the time. Happenstance. Instead, I would argue that what we see in the faces of our brothers and sisters and what we hear them speak of comes from joy, not happiness. Joy, unlike happiness, is not something dictated by circumstances. In fact, it is not necessarily an emotion. Joy comes from being in fellowship with Jesus Christ. Some of you this morning are not happy. You don't have to be. You're not disobeying God this morning if you're not happy. But I also want to say this. The Son of God became a baby. And He lived the perfect, airtight, loving, obedient life that we don't live. He lived it on our behalf. He died the death that we deserve. And He really died. And He rose from the dead. And He took everything that He did to the right hand of His Father and ours. And He will come again from heaven to judge the living and the dead. For those who turn to him, when you see his face, it won't be the face of the judge. It'll be the face of our great Savior. And if that's true, you can have joy. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Our Father, for we who like the hymn, are uh, beneath uh, life's heavy load. Please help us to hear the angels sing. We pray that because of your beautiful Son, all that He is and all that He has done, would go down into our hearts, that you would renew our faith, or for some here, give them faith for the first time to turn to you and believe, and you would give us great joy. It's in his name we pray. Amen.